And what you do is you open two tabs of the same uh, the same screen. So that way you can choose the Greg Papa auditory and then you open up the full replay one, only you mute the full replay one so that you can just hear Greg Papa describing the plays and him and Tim Ryan are describing the plays. And because they do, you know, replays on the TV broadcast, when they go into those replays, Tim Ryan is going through his description of the play breakdown because that's what his job is to do. So it works out perfectly where the TV, the TV replay Oh, even the replay for TV, they're seeing the same replay and saying the same thing? Not necessarily. I mean, Tim Ryan's just kind of breaking down the play. I mean, but they they do have the TV broadcast in the booths with them a lot of the times, but a lot of times they're looking on the field. I mean, if you look at the 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 uh the Instagram videos that they keep putting up. Yeah, the Instagram videos, the Twitter videos. Greg Papa often has binoculars looking from the booth and he's watching the field and and really literally breaking down the play with a pair of binoculars and Tim Ryan often looks on the field too but when Tim Ryan goes to recite the play to tell to let the viewers know like hey this is what happened to the play and this is what Jimmy D did it it synchronizes perfectly with the TV broadcast because after every unique play like that they often go into a replay recall of every score anyways so instead of hearing like Chris Collinsworth or what's his name Troy Aikman break down the play you hear Tim Ryan doing it but it just happens to coincidentally synchronize with the actual replay that's happening on screen so it sounds great because it's like you're hearing Tim Ryan break down what happened in the play and then you also have the the, the visual component and it looks it looks awesome because like the lines are being drawn on the screen I'm watching them draw the lines on the screen which is usually being done by Chris Collinsworth I think he did both games Chris Collinsworth is drawing the lines on the screen but I'm hearing Tim Ryan's voice over it but he just happens to be saying everything in the right sequence to make that whole visual component come together. Just like I was like, wow, this is great. This is so much better. It was way better, way better than the TV broadcast. Because the wow. TV broadcast is kind of, you know, it's not lazy, but it's... They don't root for the Niners. <laughs> so it's... And there's less detail. And <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So when you hear the first score in the Minnesota game, you get the infamous call that most of us love, which is the touchdown, San Francisco. But then in that first score, Tim Ryan's in the background that goes, feels great, baby. How <laughs> loud. So loud. He does the famous, uh, feels great, baby. <laughs> he just yells it because he, he gets so into it. And him and Greg Popper are just an amazing team. So anyways, we went off on a rant there, but I highly recommend that you try watching the game that way with Tim Ryan and Greg Popper. The only thing, the only... Uh, nuance that you got to be aware of is that they allow the live ad reads and the radio show to they, they allowed those into the broadcast so all you have to do is you have to skip those which are 30 60 seconds and then it, it'll, it'll resync to the game awesome so so just pause the game let the ad read go then press play on the game again that's the, probably the easiest way yeah okay that's dope All right, Raymond, love that. Thank you so much for sharing. Uh, And if you guys check that out, definitely let us know what you think. I'm actually going to go back and for sure watch at least one of these games with that synced up. I love that. So moving on, Raymond, here we go. Saints game probably be the best one to watch. Oh, yeah, that'd be fire. The NFC Championship, Championship Sunday, a Sunday that has haunted my dreams many, many times. The Niners have been in more NFC Championship than any other NFC team in the history of the NFL. 
because we are always one game away from a Super Bowl. In fact, Raymond, every playoff appearance we've had in the previous decade that just passed, we have been in the NFC Championship. We have never lost anything but an NFC Championship. We've either won it or we've lost it, but we've always are in the NFC Championship. No other NFC team has gone to 4-1 and one in the decade other than us. We have been the most competitive. We've been right there for four of the last six years. Quite an honor. Uh, but this year, I felt the opposite, Raymond. This year, I felt like the Niners were going to win. I woke up with a strange sense of calm, a sense of confidence, Uh but there was some controversy leading into this game, Raymond. The Vegas odds, they believed in San Francisco. They had they set them at seven and a, minus seven and a half favorites to win the game. But the growing consensus around the league was that Shanahan maybe did not trust Jimmy G as much because they often they pointed out that the Shanahan basically started to run the ball after Jimmy G's interception against Minnesota and that he pretty much didn't really do a whole lot passing-wise after the second quarter in that divisional game. Critics believed also that Jimmy G would not be able to handle a toe-to-toe -to -toe showdown with Aaron Rodgers in the NFC Championship. A bitter Mike Florio, angry over his Vikings getting their asses kicked, infamously said on his show that if it came down to the fourth quarter and both these teams were going head-to-head, -head, that the pressure would get to Jimmy and he would, quote, piss down his leg. Oh, I was so offended by this statement. If the game fell into Jimmy's hands, he said it several times, he'd piss down his legs and he'd lose in a duel with Aaron Rodgers. And this was Aaron Rodgers' time to shine. And he would now return back to the Super Bowl almost 10 years to the decade that he was last there. Raymond, what were your thoughts going into this game? What were your what were your feelings? Were you as confident as you were with Minnesota? What did you think about that talk? What did you think about Mac, Mike Florio with the piss down his leg statement? Just just take us back to where you were before this game began. Well, I kind of felt the same way that I did against the Minnesota Vikings, where this is just a really bad matchup. You have a coach that is a pupil of Kyle Shanahan and had a shorter stint with Kyle Shanahan, even a shorter stint than like a Sean McVay, who I think is a better coach than Matt LaFleur. But so I thought that there was a dis very distinct advantage from that aspect initially. Like, all right, there's a distinct coaching advantage here where our coach knows that their coach has wrinkles of our playbook in their playbook. Only... It's a lesser version. You know, they don't do a running back committee. They don't do all of the crazy motion stuff. They do some of that. They do some of the play action stuff. But again, it's all it's all derivative. So I thought that that would be really easy for Kyle Shanahan and Robert Sala to figure out. And I thought, to me, I thought Mike Floyd was just kind of pissed that the Vikings lost. So he was just picking against them again. Oh, he was being so bitter. The whole piss down his leg, it was so extreme. Well, it had everything to do with the fact that he was just salty that his Minnesota Vikings lost and that he was just hoping that they would win. So he would, you know, he came from a confirmation bias perspective where, hey, they're going to lose because of these factors and I'm banking on Green Bay coming out. But, you know, and even though I'm, I was obviously biased going into that game, but to me that bias was that bias made a lot more sense because the bias was based on the first matchup, which was a 37 to eight whomping. And I thought, wait a minute, this is the same matchup. Only the team's healthier this time. 
We have all of our defensive pieces intact. So I don't understand that, you know, to me, this is a, this is an easy one. That's that, that was what my thinking was with, with that, with this game. Uh, This, this is the same exact game. The, I mean, I understand that George Kittle returned in week 12, you know, Kittle was coming back from injury. Matt Breda had come back from injury. Uh, Joe Staley came back from injury, but Joe Staley did not play well in that game. Uh, Quan Alexander and D Ford were out. Witherspoon was in a limited role because he was coming back from injury. So there was a lot of, you know, missing components on defense. And yet we still, you know, beat the shit out of that team. So I thought, all right, now that we're fully healthy, you know, coming off of the bye and the big win against Minnesota, to me, this is a this is a no brainer. I think it's going to be pretty similar to the previous game. I thought it would be a little bit closer. I didn't think it would be the same blowout victory. I thought it would be a little bit closer, but I thought that the Niners would still come out the winners, and they did. And they actually seemed to do better in this game than they did in the first game. They they, they just seem to know they have Green Bay's number even more dialed in the second time around. So it was. Again, this was like where there was doubt with other people, you know, thinking that this matchup was going to be different from next from next time, and Green Bay was going to be prepared, and they had they had more footage to work with, and Matt Lafleur knows Kyle Shanahan, so there there's an advantage. He's gonna he's not gonna fall for the same tricks twice, or or the he's gonna read uh, any new stuff that comes thrown at his way. He's gonna figure all that out, and it was the exact same outcome because you're dealing with the exact same, you know staff and the same roster so unless you do something dramatically different you're you're going to get exactly the same result which is what we got absolutely now now raymond before you begin the breakdown of championship sunday i would like to give the name that i called this game so ray i also have two names for this game as well the first name of this game is cheese always melts in san francisco A.K.A. the other name, Mike Florio was still wrong, part two. That's my other name for this. That's right. The sequel. Mike Florio was wrong, part two, or cheese always melts in San Francisco. It does. It's so good. Go to the Ferry Building. It's so good. So good. All right, Ray. Drop this game on us. To me, this was a Raheem Mostert game where, once again, Green Bay would mightily mightily struggle again in defending the san francisco rushing attack and sure enough that was the case and i thought that the opening you know the opening drive was actually a three and out but on the ensuing possession Mostert would have the 36 yard touchdown run and that was kind of the beginning of the end really we wouldn't know it at that time but we still felt really good about what we were watching and that was an amazing amazing run by Raheem Moster and you know in the the next possession I think they only got enough to get a field goal in the second quarter so it was 10 to nothing there was early pressure that Rodgers was seeing he got sacked three times in that game he got strip sack by Quan Williams in one instant although it was recovered by Green Bay so it wasn't wasn't the best but after that there after a couple attempts by Green Bay which didn't get anything Mostert, again, they march downfield. Mostert gets the nine-yard touchdown run. This was late in the second quarter. It's now 17, 17 to nothing. And 
uh, Rogers would then try to get a try to drive downfield again, and he would throw a pick late in the second quarter to Emmanuel Mosley, who got an interception, and uh, then on that same drive, Mostert would go and get an 18-yard touchdown run after that. So, I mean, the Niners score two Raheem Mostert touchdowns, two field goals, then get a pick off Rodgers, and then Mostert goes in again for 18 yards and a touchdown run. So it's 27 to nothing at halftime. I was like, holy bananas, this was not the score in the first game. The first game first game was much, much different. It was 13-0 at halftime. And then Green Bay scored. We, we scored after that to make it, uh, 20, 20, and then Green Bay came back and scored a touchdown with a two-point conversion. So it was 20 to 8. You feel pretty good if you're a Green Bay fan in that game. But 27 to nothing in an NFC championship game, that's a completely, completely different it psychology. Was done. It was over. The game was over right there. It was done. Donezo. I mean, midway through, the, it wasn't until midway through the third quarter that Green Bay finally got a score. And I remember that horrible caster Joe Buck would stupidly say this line is this the start of something big I remember him saying they even said it on the condensed version they they caught that line yes insinuating like that was this the beginning of you know multiple runs by Green Bay to get back into the game I'm like this is midway through the third quarter and it is 27 to 7 is and that's of all of the things that are floating in your head that's what that's what comes to your head and then get this the very next drive for the after they score the very the ensuing possession by San Francisco they would answer right back with Raheem Mostert's fourth touchdown run this one would go for 22 yards and then what does Joe Buck say after that ball game <laughs> so he goes from is this the start of something big to ball game so, <laughs> it's like all right well that answers that question uh, well and you know he did it he, he, he answered his own question <laughs> he did well you know in their defense though too because chris collins does this all the time too right like they they literally what they're what they what they have to do for the sponsors and for the nfl they have to give the audience the hope that there might be a comeback so that you don't turn off. And it sounds silly and super old school, but it's not. Like Chris Collinsworth has to do it all the time. He'd be like, well, you know, that looks like they might have a chance here. And it's like they have to do that because they, they can't they can't call the shot because the last thing that they want is for the announcers to somehow inadvertently give the audience watching a reason to turn off the game. I know it sounds super stupid, but that's like legit why they do that. It's part of what they what they do. But he did literally call it ball game in the following play. He then did the opposite and closed the door on the game in the very next drive, which is funny. It's like completely hypocritical. I completely went against what he said. But go ahead, continue, Ray. Continue. That was thirty five. 35 to 7 at this point. And then Green Bay would add a couple more garbage time touchdowns. And then San Francisco would add another another field goal in the fourth quarter to seal one of the daggers. And then first and 10, 159 left in regulation. Rodgers drops back and heaves a Hail Mary, which he's been great at throughout his career. He's done a lot of those, and he's been really good at that for some reason. And some of those are just desperation where it just kind of ends up in a Green Bay person's hand. There's like five guys that are jumping from the ball, including defenders, and it just falls into Green Bay's lap, and they, they got the play. He's been, But, you know, that's he's the luck's worked out mostly for him. But 
this one would land squarely in the hands of Richard Richard Sherman, who would seal the true dagger of this game and seal the victory with the pick. His second in as many games, because he had one in the Minnesota game. So first and 10, 159 left in regulations. Rodgers drops back and heaves a Hail Mary, which he's been great at throughout his entire career. He's had a bunch of these amazing Hail Mary passes that you can look footage at on YouTube. There's, there, he's really good at this. But in this case, the ball would land squarely in the hands of Richard Sherman, who would seal the game victory with a closeout pick. And that was his second pick in as many games because he also had a pick in the Vikings game, although not in the fourth quarter to seal it like in this one. So in my opinion, going back to the Joe Buck discussion, no Joe Buck, that's the ball game. Not <laughs> not when they had the Raheem Moser 22-yard run, although that was a great play. If you're really talking about a true closeout ball game, because ball game's more, that's more of a baseball term we, we use for, for, that's the ball game. You know, that's that's more of a baseball term. So, and Joe Buck does more baseball than football. So, but... That to me, that was the moment where that that phrase was applicable. So and and I plus I can't stand Joe Buck. So that that was what was running in my head as I was rewatching the game. I was like, no, Joe Buck, that's the ball game right there. The Richard Sherman pick to close out Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers and send them packing. Send them packing. Oh, and by the way, I want to apologize to the audience. I don't mean to interrupt you, but I failed to mention uh, a key play in our previous episode where we were, where I broke down the Seattle game in week 17, excuse me, in week uh, 17 after the LA Rams game. And that was the infamous uh, pick six by Fred Warner to close out the first half of that game, which I failed to mention as I was going back through the game. But to be honest, that was my favorite play of that entire game. And it was Fred Warner's first pick six of the season. I don't think, I think it was his first pick. I think it was his only pick of the year. But what better time to have a pick six than in a winner take all, winner take division, winner take the bye against one of the greatest rivals in the whole league that was watched on a scale of, you know, similar to that of a playoff game. So anyways, apologies for missing that in the previous game. But yes, Fred Warner had the amazing pick six against the Seattle Seahawks in that closeout game too. There you go. Raymond, the season is done. Well done. Excellent. I'll tell you what, it was a lot of hours of watching, but really overall well worth it. I had a great time. How about you? It was. I mean, you know, and in, in the there there was a part of me that's, you know, thinking about the final game in the back of my head. I wasn't thinking about it too much, but, you know, there was a, a faint spirit of it just lingering there. and uh, Especially during the playoff section. That's when I thought about it most. Yeah, so it, it was just kind of, it was bittersweet. That's the best way to describe it. I agree. I totally agree with that. Um, now, for those of you who are, if this is you're hearing the first gold dive, normally we just do uh, one game or a moment, but this we this was a three part gold dive that we did a special one. This is a a quarantine special, if you will, is what this gold dive was. But 
we always give out awards uh, once we have recapped the once we have recapped the moment in time that we're recapping and now that the season is done we are going to give off awards but we're going to separate the awards we're going to give off awards for the season and for the playoffs we're going to treat them as two separate entities because they really are two separate entities and we always start with our negative awards our less than fun awards just a couple so the first award that we give out or maybe our first like uh, Razzie is the worst play of the season and the worst play of the playoffs. Raymond, here are the nominees for the worst plays of the season. After some discussion, Raymond and I believe that the worst plays should have been where we decided to quarantine them, haha, pun intended, to the three losses on the year. So here it is, week 10. Chase McLaughlin's overtime missed field goal. This is the nominees for worst plays of the season. Week 13, this is Niners at uh, Ravens. The first one was Seahawks uh, here in, uh, at 49ers. Week 13, Robbie Gould's missed field goal at the end of the first half, which would have actually put us in a much better uh, much better place to win that Ravens game had he had he made that kick. Or at least tie and for, force overtime. At least force overtime, exactly. Or force them to try to go for a touchdown and mess that up, you know? Uh, week 15 against the Atlanta Falcons. Emmanuel Mosley gives up first down on third and one in a third and one series against Atlanta, which allowed them to end up making that final score as regulation goes out. Raymond, of these three, of the three losses, which to you feels like the most egregious play and the winner of this Razzie Award? To me, it's the Chase, Chase McLaughlin one. Because you had a huge game where you know that you were coming in to replace an injured kicker and you knew it was at stake, which was the division race, which obviously had further implications down the line, forcing us to not be able to rest players towards the end of the season when, when a lot of teams are. And, and, and as a result, we had to play through that game. Plus, we didn't get a bye, so we didn't have any rest. We had to play through it and dealt with injuries. And that was a, a huge moment where we gave up the division lead and forced it to come down to a week 17 winner take all match. Um, you know, assuming that they would not lose the games that they were supposed to lose between then and the next matchup. And to me, that one kind of stings the most. When I think about, I think Robbie Gold, I think like, ah, oh, it was the first half, you know, so it wasn't like a game winner. It was just three extra points that would have made a bigger difference in tying the game or forcing, you know, as you pointed out, the Ravens to go for a score instead of a tie. And Emmanuel Mosley, I mean, that one was kind of annoying, you know, just because it was the, the second to last series before they would go on to pass over the middle for Julio Jones and Jimmy Ward would just come up inches shy of push, of keeping Julio Jones out from crossing, breaking the plane. But you know, to be honest, you could look to a number of different plays in that whole final drive and even the previous score that we gave up where there was multiple opportunities where the Niners just really kind of allowed Atlanta to just keep hanging in there. And perhaps some of that had to deal with the fact that Dan Quinn does know Kyle Shanahan's system to a degree because he ran it when they were working together in Atlanta and got to the Super Bowl. 
and and there was a degree of that running in there. They had Tevin Coleman and Antonio Freeman doing a bit of a duo committee system over there. So I, I think there was some familiarity that worked against Kyle Shanahan. Plus, there was a trap game element there as well. And you know, in in addition to that, I think the defense was also tired, and we were missing several key pieces at that point that didn't do us, you know, that helped Atlanta. And but unfortunately, yeah, for for me, it's Chase McLaughlin week ten. For me as well, Chase McLaughlin week ten. When I think of the worst play of the season, that without a doubt, unfortunately, is the worst play of the season. Yeah, bigger bigger stakes. You know, Atlanta was like a throwaway game. It didn't matter. We had one game to give going you know that that we could only lose one game and if we were going to lose one game that would be it so it was kind of a a freebie loss there yep and then the worst play of the playoffs here are the nominees or just won the super bowl we're moving on so (laughs) uh, next one number two the malcolm butler award for the season and the playoffs. This award is given to someone who doesn't show up, just like Malcolm Butler infamously was not allowed to show up in that Super Bowl pats against the Eagles. This is an award for someone who never really showed up. So here's our nominees for the season, Raymond. Akella Witherspoon, post-injury. Jalen Hurd, by post-injury, I mean when Akella Witherspoon came back. Jalen Hurd, in that second spot, and then Jason Verrett. Here are your Malcolm Butler Award nominees. Raymond, who do you think deserves the Malcolm Butler Award? Gosh, you know, I, I'm going to give a pass on Jalen Hurd just because he's a rookie, and rookies often, it's quite common for a rookie to get injured in his first season or his first multiple seasons. Jimmy Ward is a good example of that. Eric Armstead is a good example of that. And Jalen Hurd, of course. Jimmy G's first full season, where they attempted to do a first full season. Jimmy G's first full season. He wasn't a rookie, but it was his first full season, and he got hurt. Yeah, exactly. And and so that's a, that's a common theme with younger players acclimating to the speed and obviously increased you know, strength of players going from first division football or, you know, a less or a lesser degree and transitioning into the pros. So I'm going to give Jalen Hurd a pass. Jason Verrett, a seasoned veteran coming off of some pretty devastating injuries. When you really look at those injuries, has to come in and step in to kind of take over in a Pittsburgh game that was really sloppy on offense and just got torched in like three plays and pretty much, you know, we never saw him again and he got deactivated and put on IR after that just because it was like, all right, he's not only is he out of rhythm, but he clearly doesn't have the speed back in his, in his legs, a similar injury to Richard Sherman. And it took a couple of years for Richard Sherman to really get back to his normal self. And Jason Fred is not even the same caliber. So I, I feel like there was some elements working against Jason Fred from the very beginning that it was just a loft, lofty optimism if if you thought that he was going to come back and be any semblance of the former three-time Pro Bowler that he once was. So that leaves only one player in my book, and that's the player that's young, been there for a couple years, was drafted in high esteem by John Lynch and company, and just really has shown flashes of being really good and solid as he did in the first three games of this season, 
but came back and played well at times, but then really struggled. Whenever the moment called for him to rise to the occasion and hold down his side of the field, I just felt like Akella Witherspoon failed more often than not. And I like him and I want to like him, but right now he's been kind of a more of a withered spoon than the wither spoon. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wow. Raymond, you dropped the mic on that one. So I, I got to, I got to give it to, to him. You know, you gotta, you gotta earn your name back. You know, you're going to, you're going to fall into the same category. Jimmy Ward was the glass cannon for a long time and became Iron Man this season. So, Akello Withered Spoon is going to have to play a lot better to earn his Witherspoon back. <laughs> Raymond, can I get a can I give an honorable mention? I agree with you. I think it's Akello Witherspoon without question. Can I get an can I give you an honorable mention that we probably should have had on here that we didn't? Uh sure. Dante Pettis. Oh, that's a great one. Right? I don't know who I would give it to between these two players. You talk about someone who didn't show up. He wasn't even injured. He wasn't even hurt. He didn't even have an excuse. <laughs> I'd say Dante Pettis. You get you know what? You get honorable mention. Maybe we'll we'll call it a two way tie. This is our show. We do what we want. Let's do it a tie yeah. between Witherspoon and Pettis for offense and defense. I agree with that. That's a great one. Yeah, Pettis for sure. He at least Witherspoon was injured. He had there was something to it, you know, that that could have perhaps attributed to Witherspoon's you know, breakdown in the second half of the season when he came back. But Dante Pettis had none of those excuses. Not at all. And now here is the nominees for the playoffs. The 49ers team in the last 10 minutes of the Super Bowl, and we're done. Okay, here we go. So, Raymond, why don't you break down uh, awards three and four? Let the people know what the award is and the nominees. Let's start with number three. So number three is the best play of the season and playoffs. And of that, we have nominees for the regular season, which is the 61-yard touchdown reception versus Green Bay by George Kittle in Week 12. We have the, wait for it, the 39-yard first down go-ahead play by George Kittle, who would also get the 15-yard face mask penalty to bump it up to a 54-yard gain on a 4th and 2 in the 4th quarter against the New Orleans Saints. With seconds left, 42 seconds left on the clock. It's like 42, 45, is something like that. It was under a minute. Yeah, it was under a minute. And then we have the infamous stop 2 by Dre Greenlaw against Jacob Hollister on the 1-yard line in Week 17 against the Seattle Seahawks. So... So of those three, before we go on to the postseason, of those three, which one to you stands out as like, all right, if I got to give it up to one player for one play, who gets it? This is really tough. Um, I think of the three, the one with the least on the line, I'm going to say is week 12, even though it was an amazing, amazing 61-yard touchdown reception, one of Kittle's finest, an excellent fantasy moment as well. There was It was the beginning of the run of the gauntlet, so it had the least amount of stakes. So that leaves us two games. Week 14 against the Saints here, 
on that fourth and two play. Again, George Kittle coming through. And then the week 17, the stop to Drain Green, lost stop of Jacob Hollister. Week 14 is the end of the gauntlet run. The game is on the line. The Niners are behind. This is a classic 49ers ghost of Joe Montana moment here. You know, p- pulling this game out of their ass when when maybe they should just give up and die. Kittle, if they, they literally they had three defenders on George Kittle, and if they don't pull the face mask, he's going in for a touchdown. Raymond, this game would have been over if it was, but they literally had to grab his face mask to stop him because nobody was going to start stop George Kittle. And George Kittle actually said in an interview uh, just a couple weeks ago that he was going to jump and do the crotch grab that uh, that beast mode had done. When he scored that touchdown uh, a couple years back, he actually was going to do the beast mode one uh, kind of in honor of that run. If if he had gotten into the end zone? If he had gotten into the end zone, he was going to jump and do the, the nut grab, just just like uh, just like beast mode did, which would have been amazing. <laughs> that would have been the best. <laughs> yeah, I would have been all for it. So let's get to week 17. So we're still fighting for the number one seed in week 14. This is also this it was even it was even more than the number one seed what really week 14 was about was proving to the NFL that we had arrived and that we were back and we were there and I think that intangible battle is more important and more memorable to most people remember the 49ers proved in that game that we didn't go through the gauntlet we were the gauntlet and that became the the, the phrase going on week 17 the dramaticness of week 17 is undeniable it's the final game in the 100th season of the NFL. It is the the most two dominant teams, the most dominant rivalry of the last 10 years. Everything's on the line. You're either going to be the first place in the NFC or you're going to be the fifth seed, and that's it. And it comes down to the final seconds, one yard line, one touchdown. Go ahead, touchdown. If they cross that line, Niners, you're playing next week. If the if the Seahawks get stopped, we're getting the bye and we're going on to the divisional round. And it comes down to inches. Dre Greenlaw, the rookie, coming in to stop Jacob Hollister in the final seconds. In the like you said, the stop two. It gets its own name. It got its own name. Just an incredible heads-up play. You know, they have that on Instagram. They have the interview with Dre Greenlaw where he's breaking down the play. They had been running that drill every Thursday. They run they run um, red zone drills. And he said coaches kept saying, get your feet in front of the line. Get your feet in front of the line. And he kept getting his feet behind the line. But then he remembered. He read the play. He saw it. He got his feet in front of the line. And once again, we send the Seattle Seahawks, Seahawks home packing beating them for the first time since 2013. Once again, the Seahawks lose on the one-yard line with everything on the line. Gotta love that karma. Having said both of these, both these final two, I love them both. But for me, I think the winner is Week 17. What about you? What's the winner for you? And then we'll decide who the actual winner is. Do you agree with me, or do you have a different one? Gosh, for me... You know, the Drake Greenlaw one has way higher stakes. But in terms of, you know, an impressive play, the fourth and two George Kittle play is just, I've never seen anything like that. Where not only, I mean, the face mask started about between 10 and 15 yards in the middle of the 39 yards that Kittle initially got on his own, that's without the 15-yard penalty, he dragged that guy, and 
you know, it took three people to bring him down, including a face mask. And who the, the guy who grabbed the face mask, George Kittle carried that guy, pulled him for a good 10 plus yards before he got brought down by two more defenders. I don't know, man. Something about that play, that's just like the the type of power. Because George Kittle's not as big. You know, he doesn't look as big as like a Jimmy Graham or a Jared Cook. Those are some big-ass tight ends. Or or uh, uh, Travis Kelsey. Travis Kelsey looks hella big, too. Travis Kelsey's a big dude, too. And But George Kittle's just, there's something about George Kittle where he's just, he's, I don't know. He's, he's got, he's got a... His size is not again. He doesn't have the same size as the aforementioned tight ends, but he looks as powerful as those tight ends should be. Jared Cook is not as powerful as he looks. Jared Cook is a massive tight end. He is huge. Or I think New England has a crazy, crazy big uh, tight end too, and he's not as strong as he looks. But George Kittle is, and so for George Kittle to do that on a fourth and two, in a what the Niners were looking at as a must-win game because because the stakes were still not as high here. You have remember you have one game to give. If you lose the New Orleans game, you have to win in Atlanta. So if you win the New Orleans game, Atlanta becomes less significant. But at the same time, I think they would rather have been in that position to win the Atlanta game or win the Saints game versus being forced to you know, must win game in a potential trap game, which Atlanta, which is what that turned out to be. So for me, I kind of leaning towards George Kittle, but you made a really good case for Dre Greenlaw. I'll, I'll give you one more case. We beat Seattle in Seattle. Yeah. It's the Seahawks. It's the fucking Seahawks. And we beat them in their house. Yeah. With that fake ass fucking bird. Yeah. Come on, Ray. We beat the Seahawks. All right. Let's give We'll give it to the stop too. Yes, yes. All right, all right. That was a, that was a good that was a good conversation though. And I, I, we'll say this. We'll say this. George Kittle is it's like one A one B. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like one A one B. All right, Raymond. Who are the nominees for the playoffs? For the playoffs, we have the Forty Nine er defense holding Dalvin Cook to eighteen yards, which we've already talked about in the divisional round. You also have in that same game. Uh, Richard Sherman stepping in front of Adam Thielen and picking off Kirk Cousins. And then you have Raheem Mostert's dominance over the Green Bay Packers rushing for 220 yards and four touchdowns. Man, this to me, this one's I think this one's kind of obvious. OK. Mm. Well, I'll tell you what I'm leaning towards. I love holding Dalvin Cook to 18 yards, but again, I think it's probably the one that we can move off of. He's a top three back in the in the league. He is a top three back uh, this, this this past season. He was like statistically. Yeah, absolutely excellent. Hey, excellent in fantasy. That's how you know, right? Um, I love Richard Sherman stepping in front of Adam Thielen and intercepting that pass from Kirk Cousins, an iconic Richard Sherman moment, and not the only one left on on these awards coming up I kind of want to give it to the NFC Championship Raheem Moser 220 yards four touchdowns are you kidding me he just ran all over Green Bay is one of the best defenses in the league there's one of the best, and they couldn't do anything they couldn't do anything Raheem Moser beat Aaron Rodgers a running back beat one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time 
I think I'm going to give it to Raheem. Where where do you stand, Raymond? I'm I'm leaning towards Raheem too. Even though you know holding Dalvin Cook, look, I think the only two backs that were better than Dalvin Cook was Christian McCaffrey and Derrick Henry this season. Derrick Henry obviously won the rushing title with 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns. He was amazing. He was on my fantasy team all all year. Uh, he was great. But and it's impressive that they held Dalvin Cook. But again. If if you're just a one-back trick team like Minnesota is, I feel like in this day and age of, of football, especially with all of the handicaps that are placed on defenses, I just felt like a ca- the caliber defense that we have, I felt that that, that, strateg- that was a pretty predictable strategy going into that game. But Raheem Mostert, I did not expect to run for 220 yards and put Jimmy G in a position where he really didn't have to throw. Didn't have to throw when you're rushing for 22-yard touchdown scores, 18-yard touchdown scores, 36-yard touchdown scores at a time. That's just insane. In an NFC Championship game, that doesn't normally happen. But again, you just have, it's just a big matchup problem between Green Bay and this 49ers team. And that, to me, is uh, a, a bit more impressive than uh, the defense or Sherman stepping and getting the pick out of Kirk Cousins just because I feel like I feel like Sherman's closeout pick against Rodgers I like that one a little bit more than the uh, than than the the Adam Thielen pick so but anyways uh, I'm I'm ranting because I because I love all three of these plays obviously and if, if if we had three awards to give out we would but you know for the sake of keeping things interesting we can only give out one so for me, I'm in agreement with with you. I'm Raheem Mostert. Let's do it. Raheem Mostert gets the best play of the playoffs. Raymond, let's move on to number four. All right. Number four, the nominees for the most iconic moment of the season and playoffs, starting with the regular season. You have the Niners going 2-1 and one through the gauntlet, and that's weeks 12 through 14. You have Jimmy G out-dueling Drew Brees in Week 14. And then you have, once again, another appearance by Dre Greenlaw, the stop two of Jacob Hollister on the one-yard line. Oh, man, that is tough, Ray. Oh, man. I, I can't even... I can't even say which these I'm going to go through all of them and talk about this in real time because I can't even tell you, you know, with the earlier with number three, with the best season plays, I could sit here and go, okay, well, here's the ones I think that could be that we knock off week 12 through 14, the gauntlet, which will forever when you when you become a name, when there is a name for what has happened in this season, that is iconic and that is a very tough status to get. It doesn't happen all the time. And the gauntlet, the gauntlet run will forever be an infamy. They, they, when they talk about Niner history 10 years from now, they'll talk about the gauntlet run. That'll be something, that'll be a footnote in the Niners, in the Niners history books. You know, just like the John Candy drive. You know, that'll, it'll be a footnote. The catch two, the catch three, the gauntlet run. These things will be footnotes in Niners lore. They will live on forever. Uh, so it, it, the fact that we went two and one, 
and you know, barely, barely lost that one. We should have gone three and zero, but barely lost that middle game. But to defeat Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees in a three-week period and go head-to-head with the season MVP of the of the 2019 season, Lamar Jackson, when we were literally had only won four games the year before and were the bottom and the second pick in the draft and the laughing stock of the NFL, it was pretty epic. And it proved to everyone it silenced all the haters, silenced all the doubters. Week 14 kind of puts that real tight spin on it, right? The magnifying glass on it. So now it's we're going further from the gauntlet run and going into straight Jimmy G, Jimmy G out-dueling Drew Brees in week 14. Just a monster matchup. And Jimmy G was called up. He was stepped up to the plate, and he made it happen. He was absolutely fantastic. He went in there with a, with a New Orleans Saints defense that was also pretty good and went toe-to-toe in Drew Brees' house, one of the hardest places to win a game. And that's how they closed out that run. And that was the moment that everyone realized the 49ers were for real and the Super Bowl was probably going to go through us. Going back to week 17, what can I say that that hasn't already been said? Dre Greenlaw stopped with Jacob Hollister. We've literally gone through this whole thing. I'm not going to lie, Raymond. I'm not going to lie. Kind of want to give most iconic moment to to week seventeen, Dre Greenlaw again. That's how that's how strong I feel about that play. That play to me is up there with like the catch two, the catch three for this season. But just for the season, I'm not saying it's there. You know, catch ones, two, and three are in its own world. But I'm saying for this for this season, week seventeen, that the stop two is the is the closest thing we have to a catch in this season. And I, I'm kind of leaning towards week seventeen, double wins for that for that play. Where do you stand? on this, Raymond. Where do you stand on these four nominees? Well, given the history of how we've given out the award, I'm kind of leaning in a similar direction that you are, even though we've already given this award out to this exact same play. But this play literally got its own name and is now cemented in 49ers history. This this play is cemented, you know, the, the title is what cements it in 49ers lore. Regardless of how the rest of the season played out, that's all relevant now. Whenever they go through iconic plays in 49ers history, this now gets to stand in an elite company with the catch one, the catch two, uh, and the stop one. Pick at the stick. Yeah, pick at the stick. Catch three. It's there now. We're going to see this on replays, a 49er replays forever. You're going to see that play. Yeah, so they're not gonna, you know, they're not gonna replay, you know, Jimmy G outdueling Drew Brees. You know, there, I mean, there will be replays of that game, but uh, you know, they're not gonna replay. There is no name for Jimmy G beating Drew Brees. It was just a, an exciting regular season game, which don't get me wrong, was amazing. You went, you talk about toe to toe, twenty six for thirty five, three hundred forty nine yards, four touchdowns, one pick to Drew Brees is twenty nine for forty, three hundred forty nine yards, five touchdowns, no picks. And their passer rating was almost identical, 138 to Drew Brees to 131, Jimmy. And Jimmy got sacked three times, too. Uh, Drew Brees didn't get sacked once. But, uh, but yeah, so, and, and that game is amazing. But, again, there's no title of that game that cements it into 49ers historic football lore the same way that Dre Greenlaw's a stop two is going to be, is, is in fact, cemented. So, yeah, I... I'm leaning towards Dre Greenlaw again. Pretty amazing to Dre Greenlaw, the fact if, if you pull off two wins here, two awards. 
I agree, Raymond. I do believe that not only was it the best play of the season, it was the most iconic moment. Not They're not always the same, and many times we've done these Gold Dives Awards, they haven't been the same, but once in a while they are. And this one, I believe, deserves to go to Dre Greenlaw, both of both awards. Just iconic and best play. It does. And in terms of you know postseason most iconic moments, the nominees were Bosa's dramatic get-up from getting the win knocked out of him in the divisional round against Minnesota Vikings. That was hilarious. Which is amazing. <laughs> you have Richard Sherman's pick against Aaron Rodgers to send the Niners to the Super Bowl, which is a closeout pick. And then you have Sherman gets on one knee and says a prayer as the confetti rains down on the Niners' win. And Sherman actually was crying during that moment because it, it, it all came crashing down all of the hard work to get his body back to where it needed to be, to be a top flight corner again, really came to fruition as he got back-to-back picks and back-to-back games to help the Niners secure a trip to the Super Bowl. Nick Bosa's head get up. It just, it just, it, 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 it encapsulates Nick Bosa's entire season, which I think was just a giant roller coaster ride of fun for him. And uh, really closed out what started with him being the second pick in the draft, that iconic shot of San Francisco, the entire crowd cheering and screaming and losing their minds when we announced Nick Bosa as our draft pick. I remember wearing all my Niner gear, sitting on the couch, forcing everyone in my house to sit next to me. And the second that Bosa gets picked, I jumped up. I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. This is the be- I'm like, just please, please just get one guy, get one player. Don't get cute. Don't get tricky. Get the guy we have to get. And that's Nick Bosa. And when that when when the crowd started chanting his name and he got up and he shook his head, I, it's just the, one of the most iconic moments of the postseason. And it was absolutely an incredible moment. NFC Championship, Richard Sherman's interception of Aaron Rodgers. The great Aaron Rodgers, you've already broke down the play earlier uh, when we were talking about it. This is just such, when we're talking about it in the in the, the recap, an iconic moment. And really the, the bookend to that journey, Raymond, the bookend to that journey of Richard Sherman getting back to who he was. A lot of people questioned w- whether or not he should he, uh, that if he should that he would if he would be able to play again at this level. A lot of people questioned that he did his own contract with the 49ers, which, by the way, made out like a bandit on this past year. And that leads us into the final one, the final moment, that iconic shot of Sherman on one knee and saying a prayer as the confetti rains down and he's crying because he has finally achieved the greatness again. I think, Raymond, this is really tough. I'm I'm really torn between both NFC Championship moments. I'm kind of leaning toward Richard Sherman's interception, although I think Sherman's his one knee prayer is probably more dramatic, you know, like you you can frame that in a picture and put that on a wall somewhere. It is. What's the winner for you? To me, I got to go with the play. I got to go with Sherman closing out the game. You knew that they were going to win anyways, but closing out the game to just kind of seal the deal and remind Green Bay that, hey, you know, you may have gotten here, but there was no way you were getting past us. Uh, we agree, Raymond. NFC Championship, Richard Sherman's interception of Aaron Rodgers. We- and and for kicks, I I do think of the Bosa getting up from in the Minnesota game. It's a pretty awesome moment. 
It's just an awesome moment. It's you know, remember, you know, as we've said before. Again, it's like pro wrestling. <laughs> it was very pro wrestling. Uh, the the most iconic moment isn't necessarily a play. It's it's a moment in time that's frozen there that we think uh, deserves to be on the list. And sometimes it's a play. Sometimes it's a phrase. Sometimes it's a saying. Sometimes it's a cheer. You know, it could be anything. But uh, but we are in agreement. The Richard Sherman interception of Aaron Rodgers to send the Niners to the Super Bowl is definitely the most iconic moment of the postseason. So, Raymond, that leaves one award left for the evening. The Ric Flair Award. And the reason we call this the Ric Flair Award is because to be the man, you gotta beat the man. And so, in honor of Ric Flair's famous catchphrase, we have named this final award that. And here are the nominees for the season. Who won the Ric Flair Award, Raymond? Is it Nick Bosa, Richard Sherman, Raheem Mostert, Jimmy Ward, or Jimmy G? These are your nominees for the season, Raymond. If you were to give the Ric Flair Award, basically our MVP of the regular season, who would you give that award to from these nominees? It's a pretty big list. Man. For the regular season, it's pretty tough. I feel like there was a lot of doubt and shade, unnecessary shade thrown at Jimmy D, Jimmy G. So I'm leaning towards him, even though quarterbacks win so many different awards all the time. I just feel like the shade that was thrown at Jimmy G to prove himself when he, he, he outplayed other quarterbacks with similar stats and in some cases better stats, but for some reason was still getting crap thrown at him for all of that. I just don't, I just felt like it, I'm leaning towards Jimmy. Although to me, a runner up is probably Nick Bosa because what he did is impressive. It, it's, you know, it's Alden Smith level that we were watching with Nick Bosa. And Nick Bosa is even more polished than Alden Smith ever was in his rookie season. Although 14 sacks in his rookie season is pretty damn impressive too. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. He made our all-decades team. I uh, Jimmy G, very high on my list. Let me give you an argument for another player on that list there besides Nick Bosa. And I... W I, I I have no argument against Nick Bosa. I think he that's why he's on this list. That's why he's the first mentioned on this list. Let me give you an argument for Richard Sherman. Not only did Richard Sherman come back to Pro Bowl-level Richard Sherman, you know, uh, a more seasoned one, he became the heart and soul and the absolute leader of that defense. I mean, how many times, week in and week out, did we see the mic'd ups? And you got Richard Sherman just going off talking to the players, guiding them, motivating them, pushing them through. I mean, this guy, he was the voice. He was the leader. He was the guy that everyone looked up to. He was right there. The one thing I liked about Richard Sherman, I mean, how many, we saw several different games. He's leading the team in tackles. Richard Sherman, Richard Sherman at age 31. You know, like this guy really, really re resurrected a career that most people thought was left for dead on the lawn with the, with with a dying 49ers team and he really came back and uh, wasn't perfect but man I mean you want to talk about clutch what do you say about that what, what do you say about when I throw that in the mix with Richard Sherman where does that where does that resonate with you 
I mean, it resonates well, but quarterback's the most important position on the team, on any team, in any given football team. So that, that to me is why Jimmy still kind of outrules Richard, even though Richard Sherman is, you know, this, this, this generation's version of Deion Sanders minus, you know, some of the uh, amazing, you know, athleticism that I have yet to see another cornerback duplicate. But, but yeah. That, that's kind of where I'm at. Well, Raymond, I convinced you on the on the uh, the most the greatest play of the season. So I will I will the best play of the season. So I will go to you. Uh, who do, who do you want? You want it to be Jimmy G? Give it to Jimmy G. I think so. I mean, and here's the other thing. This is this is the cherry on top of all the things Richard Sherman did to lead this team, which he did. He was certainly definitely more demonstrative in his leadership style although Jimmy G was right at the top with all of the other team captains on this team in terms of leadership but Jimmy G is the only one that came up with his own catchphrase feels great baby (laughs) absolutely I own that shirt that's how good it was oh that's so good I know I love that all right Raymond so here we go. Here are the nominees for the postseason. It's a shorter list, only a couple games, not quite as much. Number one, Mr. Nick Bosa. Number two, Mr. Richard Sherman. And number three, Raheem Mostert. Here are your nominees for the Ric Flair Award for the postseason. Of the three, Raymond, where do you lean? Raheem Mostert, easy. 220 against Green Bay in an NFC Championship game before touchdowns. That's insane. I agreed. I think it's undeniable. He, 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 Raheem Mostert outdueled Aaron Rodgers. Yes. Raheem Mostert, a running back. With his feet. He didn't even use his hands. I mean, well, he, with his feet. Yeah, with his feet. I think so too. I think he wins the Ric Flair Award. Raymond, that's it, man. We did it. Three-part series. Uh, long, arduous, two two and a half weeks of us watching every game the Niners played, notes, and finally giving out our Goldcast Awards. How do you feel now that it's done? Feels great, baby. <laughs> we'll end on that. It feels great, baby. All right, we'll be back later in the week. We are recording some gold dives, and, of course, we have the NFL Draft coming up. So get ready, guys. It's coming up this week. Get ready. Yeah, the, the, the Zoom version of it. The Zoom version. This will be very interesting, Ray. So concludes another edition of the Gold Cast. We are the voice of the Bay. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa I, baby. Boom! We'll see you next time. Same Gold Cast time. Same Gold Cast channel. This is, is the Gold Cast.